Welcome to Full Circle Women's Health Podcast, a podcast aimed at empowering women to better understand and manage their health. I'm Dominique Baum, a Women's Health GP, and I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Preetam Ganu, gynecologist at Full Circle Obstetrics and Gynecology. Full, welcome to Full Circle Family. Full Circle Obstetrics and Gynecology is a specialized women's health clinic in South Australia. It provides holistic care to women and girls of all ages and all backgrounds in all seasons of their life. Thank you very much for your love, reviews, support for our initial episode. So far, we have discussed about normal periods, then polycystic ovary syndrome and its management. Today, we are going to start exploring the world of pelvic pain and endometriosis. Pelvic pain is an issue which many women experience over their lifetime, and it can be an incredibly frustrating and isolating experience. And it's one that can be tricky for both women and for health professionals to tease out. That is very true. Um, but before we talk about or untangle this pelvic pain, I think I would like to start by telling a story of one of my patients or say hypothetical mm. patient. Um, so I usually with my patient, I start from the very beginning. So if we imagine this is a young, um, very talented woman who has attended a clinic and she started as a very healthy childhood. But after she started periods, the periods were getting very painful. Um, initially, she thought that her mom had a pain, painful periods, her grandma had a painful periods, and that's what it normally is. Mm. But she was missing out on school, and then it is affecting her study, and then pain starts getting more and more days. So even in between periods, she starts getting pain. Typically, when it is time for ovulation, she starts getting pain. And sometimes she goes and starts with some med pain medications or hormonal contraceptions. Sometimes there are some side effects. But this cycle of pain continues to grow and she starts getting lots of other symptoms. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it is diarrhea and constipation during the period of time. Sometimes it is headaches or sometimes uh, associated anxiety causing lots of bladder symptoms and things. And it starts affecting her day-to-day -day work and causes a lot of stress and a lot of presentations to emergency. And she still can't find the answer. So mm. after looking at going to many doctors or emergency presentations, she still doesn't know that why she's in so much pain, why nothing is working. And sometimes it causes a lot of, uh, affects a lot of um, uh, work and life. So if if you look at the Miss Sophie, she's trying to battle through the pain every day with the medications, different doctor's appointments, their cost, and at the same time, work, career, family, children, sometimes having difficulty getting pregnant or having painful sexual intercourse and problems related to that. Mm. Um, like this is like may sound familiar, but uh, this is not a, a story of my one patient. I hear this story many times and I feel sometimes incredibly sad that even in 2022, a lot of women struggle through pelvic pain and don't get clear answers. And it's not like a fault from women's side or doctor's side. Quite often, we uh, look at one system and like a sort of a try to specialize into one system and try to follow that. So sometimes patient may go to gynecologist for pelvic like endometriosis and then GP may manage their other symptoms and then they may see the uh, bile surgeon for something else. But quite often it is really important to put it all together and work to the best of their health. Yeah, mm, I totally agree. And I think this is a nice opportunity to try to summarize it in a more holistic way. And um, because pelvic pain, as you say, is so complex and can draw from lots of different um, structures. 
and many different mechanisms. So that's something that we're going to break down over the course of today's episode and next week's episode. I think the good news is that there is growing awareness about what is normal and what isn't normal, both in society and in the medical world. And I do think that things are changing for the better. And I'm hopeful that for girls and women, there will be more support going forward in the future as well. Definitely. And I, th- I think, you know, March being Endometriosis Awareness Month, it's a really good opportunity to start with discussing, you know, what is endometriosis and a little bit about some of the management options. So, Preetam, can you tell our listeners a little bit about what endometriosis is? Yeah, so just uh, just going um, before talking about endometriosis, just going back a little bit about the awareness. So definitely there's much more awareness, especially we are very lucky in Australia mm. that a few years back there was a national action plan for endometriosis. And the good news was that was a collaboration between patient advocates and doctors and the allied health. So that is one of the great thing about mm. the women's health and awareness. And there's still a long way to go, but we are starting with the endometriosis awareness, definitely. Now, going back with the endometriosis, uh, just um, like a lot of us in school, we have seen the structure of the uterus and we know it is looks like a sort of a sac with the tubes on the side and ovaries on the side. Mm-hmm. And the lining of the uterus, which we medically call as endometrium, with different hormonal changes, it grows thick and shed as a menstrual period. Now, in condition called as endometriosis, this lining of the pre- uterus is present where it is not supposed to be. So mm-hmm. it is present outside of the uterus. Sometimes it can be few dots behind the uterus or it may be on the tubes or ovaries or rarely it may be in all other organs as well like a bowel or bladder or things like that. And because it is present in different organs and with each hormonal cycle they get it gets active, it can cause uh, quite severe period pain but lots of other symptoms. Mm, And that's something that we're going to explore a bit more over the course of this episode. But Mm. I think one of the really interesting things is that endometriosis is actually really common. Um, And I think as health professionals, we're becoming more aware of how common it is, partly possibly because of more societal awareness and women knowing to speak up a bit more, and partly because ultrasounds are getting more specialised and we have um, some more tools at our disposal where we can pick some early signs up Um, and possibly partly because periods tend to be starting a bit earlier and women tend to be having children a bit later in life. Um, And so women in today's modern world have to go through between 300 to 400 periods over the course of their lifetime. So if there are problems, we hope that they'd be more likely to speak about them now than in our grandparents' age. So as I said, with the National Action Plan, when they were looking at the number of women having severe period pain. So many women have some period pain, which can be managed by um, medications or contraceptive pills, but some women have a severe period pain, which is not managed by usual majors. And they thought that almost like uh, 833 million women in Australia Mm. suffer from um, uh, endometriosis. So quite high number of women uh, actually have this condition. Mm, I think it's about one in 10, which is a huge Huge amount. And so, so important for us to really learn. So one in 10 in general population, but those who are suffering with the infertility, sometimes it is almost like a 40, 50% women suffer with endometriosis. So there's also theories out there about what the cause of endometriosis is, um, as well as, you know, what actually causes some of the pain and some of the symptoms of endometriosis. 
Can you chat a bit about some of those theories of the potential yeah, causes? Definitely. So uh, quite often in any medical condition, if that is developing, we try to research and find out what is the cause for it. Um, and there are a lot of research being done for endometriosis as well. Uh, only tricky part is when there are many different theories, mm. um, there is no clear cut answer. So one of the very popular uh, theory for development of endometriosis is called as a retrograde menstruation. In simple words, what it means is when we're getting menstrual periods, um, the some of the blood goes from the tubes inside in the uterus and tend to stick there because mm. of the different reasons and cause endometriosis in future. Uh, in the past, they tried to do experiment with the animals where they tried to stop the periods and they saw more endometriosis in oh, those really? patients. Yeah. So interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. Or even those patients who have what we call as a uterine anomalies or uh, problems in the development of uterus sometimes have a bit more chances of endometriosis. But there are a lot of different theories. So one of the other theories is called as a celomic metaplasia. In simple words, what it means is as a baby, when we are developing, the certain tissues develop of our uterus, tubes and ovaries. And at that very developmental stage, sometimes there is a little bit of a mistake and some small cells migrate to different places mm. and develop into endometrium. Then there is a, some genetic predisposition as well, because quite often it is seen to run in families. So there was a lot of studies done to see if there is any particular gene related to development of endometriosis. So there are lots of different theories about why endometriosis is developed. Um, and I'm sure there are a lot of research going on in this field. So in future, we will have a bit more, more understanding about the endometriosis. Now, going back with the pain, like normally when we have the periods, as I said, there are some um, pain sometimes, which is because of the uterine cramps and things, which we call as a primary dysmenorrhea. But with the endometriosis, when this lining is developing outside of the uterus, quite often it starts developing a lot of new blood vessels mm -hmm. and sometimes even new nerve endings. And there is a lot of inflammation and that causes what we call as a prostaglandin release. And that starts giving you pain. And the, also other possibility is that over the time, sometimes things are stuck together or there is a bit of a cyst formation or obstruction or increased blood flow. And all these changes start developing more and more pain. And this is what I'm talking more from the endometriosis side of things. But quite often over the years, if it is not treated in time, sometimes women develop some other kind of pain or other layers of pain as well. So it may be sometimes muscle-related pain or nerve-related pain. Mm. So overall, it becomes a bit more complex. Yeah. Yes, it's a really complex issue. And those other layers of pain, we're going to delve into a bit more in our next episode about chronic pelvic pain, yeah. talking about some of those muscle and nerve ending changes. But I guess focusing back on endometriosis, it's something which should be at the front of our minds when a woman comes in and complains about severe period pain or mid-cycle pain, pain with ovulation, or starting to get a lot of diarrhea or constipation with her periods or uh, painful bowel actions or even some bladder pain. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So really it's a clinical suspicion that would lead us to start thinking, you know, could this be a red flag for something like endometriosis? Yeah. So just to highlight on this side that, yes, of course, the lot of symptoms like uh, 
painful periods, painful sex, pain in between. Um, those are suggestive of endometriosis. Quite often I find in my practice that those who have uh, what we call as a primary dysmenorrhea, usually that pain starts with their period mm -hmm. and usually lasts for a couple of days. But the women who have endometriosis tend to have pain few days before their period starts and sometimes it lasts longer than their period. But having said that, sometimes there are women with endometriosis who have no symptoms at all. Mm. Okay, So it's not always the pain is the indication of the endometriosis. Like if you're suffering from pain and it is affecting your day-to-day -day life, it's important that we investigate for endometriosis. But having said that, sometimes I may find that patient is coming for infertility. Um, and when I do ultrasound scan or investigations, we found that they do have endometriosis. Mm. So that is a little bit a tricky part with the endometriosis that amount of endometriosis women have inside and amount of pain they get outside is not correlated. Mm, yeah, that's really interesting. Mm. Um, so I guess thinking about if a woman does come in and she does have pain and we're suspicious that maybe there could be something like endometriosis there, some of the things we might think about doing as an investigation, you mentioned an ultrasound can be a helpful tool, but it is really important to realise that an ultrasound would, and only very sensitive ultrasounds will show severe disease of endometriosis. So an absence of endometriosis findings does not mean there's no endometriosis there with an ultrasound. Some of the things that might be a clue on ultrasound would be seeing some nodules, which might suggest a buildup of endometrial tissue outside of the uterus, or a large cyst or endometrioma on mm. one of the ovaries. And another sign might be that things are not moving as easily as they should. So the ovaries seem to be stuck to the wall of the uterus or the muscles aren't sliding as easily as they should be. So those are what we'd call soft markers of possible endometriosis. So uh, quite often we go with the history and um, a lot of the times investigations are based on what patient's symptoms are. So if they are having symptoms like they feel like a urinary tract infection, we do need to check for urine. If they are having irregular periods, sometimes we do need to check their hemoglobin levels or their hormones. But ultrasound scan is one of the important investigations. And as you mentioned that even if the blood tests are completely normal and the ultrasound scan is completely normal, there is a still possibility of endometriosis. And usually laparoscopy is the gold standard at the moment for that one. Um, if the ultrasound shows features of endometriosis, as you mentioned, endometrioma or chocolate cyst or big thing, we quite often think that it is quite severe endometriosis mm -hmm. because Earlier stages, which we describe as a stage one or two, is usually not diagnosed on ultrasound scan. Yeah. So that raises an important question, which is, you know, if we don't see any endometriosis on an ultrasound, does every woman need to have a laparoscopy? And that's a really common question. And the answer really varies depending on the woman in front of us and what her priorities are at that time. And so I think it might be a good opportunity to chat a little bit through the options of management for endometriosis. Maybe we'll start with some of the simple things and then we can build up to surgery. Yeah, definitely. So this is quite common question we do get to ask, but as you rightly said, that quite often we need to treat the, what the women in front of us. So we are not just looking at the endometriosis. It is just a part of the puzzle. It is not the all thing. Um, so we need to look at what their symptoms are and what would be the best treatment for them, depending on what they want to achieve. So mm -hmm. uh, what we are looking at is having um, going back to their life fully, 
without having any restriction so quite often starting with the pain medications like uh, anti-inflammatories and the regular pain relief when they are in pain during their period is the first step then if needed definitely contraceptive pills is or hormonal options like contraceptive pills is a really good option um i think quite often the first point of contact for patient is general practitioners um and quite often understanding this can be the symptom of endometriosis and validating patient's concerns and then guiding through them is very helpful but i would i'm sure you would have seen many yeah, patients yeah right with i do see a lot of women particularly young women who come in um with concerns about their painful cycles and we have some discussions about the possibility of endometriosis and i always explain to those women that you know it might be a good idea to do an ultrasound but that that being normal doesn't exclude the possibility of endometriosis and that the surgery you know keyhole surgery laparoscopy would be the only way to fully diagnose that but that that is not necessarily what I would recommend so generally speaking i would recommend to my patients that you know we try to manage their symptoms a bit more conservatively and um, with pain relief or hormonal suppression such as using the oral contraceptive pill or one of the new progesterone only pills such as slinda um or trying to use continuous progesterone like dinagest um or using something like the marina and then reserving laparoscopy for women who are having symptoms which are not well controlled with those more simple measures or for women who are actively thinking of trying to conceive and where we're really trying to optimize their fertility um so i mean fertility is a really big question in itself and i'll let you chat a little bit more about that um mm. but there are quite a lot of options that we have in our toolkit of pain medications, hormonal medications and non-hormonal medications which can be helpful at reducing the pain of endometriosis and helping women achieve that normal lifestyle that they're after. Yeah. So this is very important to understand that options are not like either hormone or surgery quite often we need both as well so because the endometriosis is the tissue very similar to the lining of uterus they respond really well to hormones and as we mentioned before that one of the theories for development is retrograde menstruation so quite often we try to do menstrual separation as a first line of treatment and that is really important now with the um, endometriosis with the national action plan last year they developed clinical management guidelines for endometriosis for australia specifically um, and that was released by royal australia new zealand college of obstetrics and gynecology and one of the highlight in that guideline was that not every patient needs laparoscopy mm. and quite often we suggest like laparoscopy to be reserved for those patients where pain is not controlled by any other means or if there is a like a big cyst or endometrioma on the ovaries which is causing a lot of trouble or if someone is trying for pregnancy and if it is not happening now just going a little bit more about the laparoscopy it is a operation where we have a done under general anesthesia where we have a small cut at the belly button and we have a telescope like camera which we call as a laparoscope which goes through that belly button and we are sort of if you can imagine we are looking inside from the belly button and look at the pelvis to see if we can see any spots of endometriosis we do check for like all the organs around so we do check like a uterus cervix mm-hmm. tubes ovaries and all around like appendix and liver and things like that but having said that 
all the pain is not necessarily seen. So sometimes if there is like a typically patient have adenomyosis or something that may not be diagnosed on the laparoscopy or if they have a lesion somewhere very remote, we are not able to remove it completely if to be on a safer side. So that is still really important that even if you go for a laparoscopy that you may still need to have ongoing pain management or hormonal management. Now, now, quite often when I see patients who already have seen their general practitioner who already have um, done a lot of pain management and then come to see me more for the diagnosis, quite often I feel that they just need a validation that this mm. is not in their head. They just really need to see, is this really a pain? And this is a little bit, I think, tricky part in a way that as a woman, we have a lot of cultural and societal experience expectations and a lot of these women are quite often felt uh, very um, sort of dismissed by different healthcare professionals so they really need to know if they have endometriosis and sometimes we need to do keyhole surgery for that the advantage with the keyhole surgery is yes it gives us a diagnosis and quite often we cut it out and send it to pathology so we get tissue diagnosis other thing we find that quite often doing laparoscopy when we wash out all the things inside it takes the inflammatory markers away and it does help with the pain relief sort of thing and mm -hmm. definitely it helps with the fertility management we also find that the because it's a keyhole surgery recovery is quick so what it means is after surgery so if surgery takes say one and one hour or sometimes two hours one and a half hour after that couple of hours after the surgery, you can eat and drink normally. You can get out of bed and move around and that sort of thing. Like we can do, uh, we can discuss a little bit more about laparoscopy separately. But one of the advantage of the keyhole surgery that you are up and up quite soon. Mm. And I think most women would take maybe one week or maybe two weeks <laughs> off of work. But the recovery comparatively is pretty quick. Yeah. You did mention something as you were chatting just now, Pritam which was adenomyosis, which we haven't mentioned. So adenomyosis, I often describe, it's like a cousin of endometriosis. Mm. Um, and where whilst endometriosis is where the lining or similar tissue to the lining of the uterus grows outside of the uterus, adenomyosis is where that lining grows into the muscle wall of the uterus. That's right. um, yeah. And that can cause quite painful and heavy periods for women. But it's not always there. You know, if a woman has endometriosis, it doesn't mean she'll necessarily have adenomyosis and vice versa. Yeah. Uh, but they often do go together. Often do go I've together. Seen. That's very true. Um, other important thing I was going to say was with the um, laparoscopy, another thing we do is we can stage the endometriosis. So um, this staging, there are a few different various staging, that, but the common staging we use in Australia describes endometriosis in four stages. Mm -hmm. So the stage one is very mild endometriosis. So sometimes we uh, see on laparoscopy there may be like a white spot or a bit of a discoloration or red spot uh, and there are very superficial in the lining which we call as a peritoneum and which can be easily removed. Uh, stage two is when we see lots of different spots and they're going sometimes a little bit deeper. Stage three which we sometimes call as a deep infiltrative endometriosis mm. which are a bit more like a nodule sort of thing and stage four is we call as quite advanced endometriosis when there is a big endometrioma. Sometimes everything is stuck together, structures are not moving at all. But the very important thing is the staging is not related to pain. So many years back there was an experiment done to see the 
pain. So it was like a awake laparoscopy sort of thing. <laughs> no one does it nowadays. <laughs> but they tried to see touching those points and seeing which causes more pain. And interestingly, they found that the very mild endometriosis, which are like a white spots, not like a powder burn or dark spots, um, were causing more pain to the patient. Mm. So on the ultrasound, on the laparoscopy, there may be very mild stage one endometriosis, but patient can have quite severe pain. Uh, I just want to mention that because sometimes uh, women look on the social media or someone saying that I had a very severe endometriosis and no one looked after me or things like that. But and they get a bit disappointed that I'm having so much pain. But doctor just said there was very mild endometriosis. Uh, so the pain is not correlated. But this staging is important in terms of fertility. Mm. So if someone had a very mild or stage one endometriosis, which we can remove completely, will probably have no problems to get pregnant or can get pregnant easily with little treatment. But someone who has stage 4 endometriosis sometimes have their ovarian reserve quite de depleted as well and sometimes can have difficulty even with the fertility treatments like IVF and mm. things like that. And so laparoscopy and excision of the endometriosis, like we've mentioned, can be a really important tool in helping women and couples um, mm -hmm. achieve their desired fertility outcomes. And uh, I think that six months or so after that uh, laparoscopy is really that peak improvement in fertility. And that's when we'll be really counselling women to explore those fertility treatment pathways. Definitely, yeah. And so some women might have heard or seen on social media um, various celebrities or um, even spoken to their parents or grandparents about other surgical options which have been used more in the past perhaps to manage endometriosis and um, so a hysterectomy for example and mm -hmm. uh, so that's something which fortunately now with better tools and um, more training around uh, minimally invasive surgery is less commonly required but how often would you say that that might be something that needs to be explored with a woman? Oh, so that's a really good question. So when you mentioned that, yes, previous generation, if we see or if we look at our grandma's generation, quite often women were having children very early and they were like having lots of children. So they were pregnant and breastfeeding and having no periods for most of the time. Mm. So by the time they have finished family and having heavy periods, um, quite often hysterectomy used to be the best option to go for. Uh, particularly with the patient with the endometriosis, I find that if they have a, um, a, a adenomyosis along with the endometriosis, uh, adenomyosis can be managed with different hormonal treatment, but it can be like if women have completed their family, they can benefit with the hysterectomy. Other group is like if they have a very severe endometriosis, which is not, we are not able to manage because of the ongoing hormonal suppression and other things because of the side effects, sometimes hence hysterectomy is required. Mm. But quite often in terms of the pelvic pain, as I mentioned, that endometriosis is just a part of the puzzle. So even if some women went for surgery, they still may need a multidisciplinary management. So even if sometimes if you go for hysterectomy, you can still have, get a pain and may need a pain management or may need to see physiotherapy regularly or sometimes dietitian and mm. few other things. So it is really important to understand that it is not the only treatment. It is one of the treatment and we need to work out what is the best for the women mm. at that time. Yeah. It's just one of the tools that we have and really we want to be supporting our patients holistically yeah. and looking at all sorts of angles at how to have 
a life of living well. And I think good health is not just about an absence of pain, Mm. but it's about being able to achieve those goals in your life, going to work, going to study, being able to have a fulfilling relationship, which isn't impacted on by disease. Um, And so we're going to explore that in a little bit more detail next um, session when we're talking more about chronic pelvic pain. And so Pritam, one question that does come up a little bit is once someone's had treatment, whether that's hormonal treatment or surgical treatment, is that just kicking the ball down the road? Is it curing their endometriosis or will it come back? How do you talk through that? That's a really good question because sometimes I see patients who when they had a very painful period when they were young, like 14, 15 years old, they were started on contraceptive pills and they've been on the contraceptive pills for like 10 years. And when they start planning for pregnancy, they find it very difficult. Period starts getting painful and then they come to see me and we diagnose endometriosis. So women are a bit worried that did we mask the symptoms of endometriosis Mm. with the um, contraceptive pills or should we have just removed and be okay? And because like, as I said, with the, endometriosis there are a lot of different theories but we think that even if we remove all the endometriosis we can see there can be sometimes still some microscopic endometriosis we are not able to remove but as well as if they have ongoing menstrual periods endometriosis will come back Mm. so quite often there is not one treatment or one surgery that will cure it completely so it will need ongoing treatment and having hormonal treatment as a first go is useful. It is not masking treatment, but it is keeping it under control. So I usually say it sort of stops it from flaring up. So mm-hmm. it makes it inactive and helps with the pain and period. So it is okay to continue with that treatment and go for surgery only if needed. And as I said, even after surgery, sometimes still needed need to have some hormonal treatment. Yeah, I think that's really important for women to understand that hormonal contraceptive options or other hormonal treatments, they're not just a band-aid, they're actually a helpful tool to suppress further growth of endometriosis um, and to reduce the need for further treatment like surgery. So um, it's not something to be worried about as just a band-aid in little bunny ears there. Uh, other interesting thing I find that other day I saw a patient who has suffered with pelvic pain for a very long time and then we went for laparoscopy and we diagnosed endometriosis and I was discussing photos and showing her what we found and she was almost in tears mm. and I said like we found it and we were able to remove it things will get better and she said no but I have got two daughters and they are teenagers and I'm a bit worried that they will have same thing because they are having periods as well. Um, And I just want to reassure women that for our daughters or for the next generation, things are going to get better. One thing, there is much more awareness, but there is a lot of um, research going on. There's a lot of support available and a lot of newer treatment modalities are coming up. So just to give you a few resources, uh, Pelvic Pain Foundation Australia has has got really good information about the endometriosis. Mm. They have an endometriosis booklet as well, which can tell our women from the beginning how they can manage the pain. Similarly, there is a, another newer innovation, the Robinson Institute from Adelaide. They are developing a digital tool, digital resource Fantastic. for young girls so they can monitor their pain and um, look at the symptoms and self-manage their symptoms in most of the time. Uh, Similarly, I find that there is a Adelaide Pelvic Pain Network has got some really good information 
about the pelvic pain and endometriosis as well. I think those are really good resources to share and so hopeful looking forward at all of the research and all of the funding going into endometriosis and pelvic pain more broadly. So I think that's a nice place to leave it for today. Frida, what do you think? Absolutely. Yeah. So if you've enjoyed our episode, please rate and review and subscribe. And if you have any questions, don't hesitate to message us on our Instagram, which is Full Circle Podcast, or email us at fullcirclewomenshealthpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you.